bow with me, please. Lord, Jesus, Messiah, Lord of all, we humbly bow before your throne, before your feet, Lord. And Lord, we say to you, please guide us today to worship you in spirit and in truth. And uh, Lord, help us to walk out of this place a little bit more conformed to the image of Lord Jesus than we were when we came. Lord, we pray that that would be our aim today. And Lord, open the word of life that we would learn from it and be transformed by it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, if you would grab one of these connection cards, we would really appreciate it if you fill that out. You know, uh, the Lord has blessed us with so many first, second time guests, and we, we would desperately want to get to know who you are. So if you fill this out, that will help us. Uh, we promise we won't call and try to sell you anything. Uh, we have no anointed hankies or anything like that. So so please, please uh, should I say that? We're, scratch that part on streaming. Uh, so... So uh, please fill that out. And the rest of you, uh, if you have a uh, prayer request, please know that those are taken very seriously and those will be prayed for by the, by the pastor and staff. Hey, I got another couple of things real quick. Um, Labor Day. So no services tonight, and, and then the office is closed tomorrow, okay? So just everybody be aware of that. And then next Sunday night, we invite you to be a part of, it's called One Banner. We've been doing this for several years now. Uh, we missed last year, obviously, like we missed almost everything, uh, but uh, several years now. And where several churches gather together, uh, choirs and orchestras, and meet over at Ridgecrest Baptist Church for just a great uh, concert slash worship service. And so we invite our congregation to join Ridgecrest over there that night at 6, is it 6 o'clock? Yeah, 6 o'clock. And uh, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. It will be a tremendous time of worship. So hope you can join us over there next Sunday night. Okay. All right. So let's see. The next slide says this. Please look for lyrics that speak about the church today. Yes, I'm giving you a homework assignment. Uh, as we sing, look for, look for lyrics that talk about the church. Some will be subtle. Some will be very uh, overt, okay? But, but uh, look for those because the, 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 the topic of the church is so so important, and, and and honestly, from generation to generation to generation, we're we're losing that importance, and we need to regain that. So look for the look for clues in each one of these songs today. Okay. In the darkness, we were waiting. Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt Pray
reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation. You did not despise the cross, for even in your suffering you saw to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus for our sins you died. For that, we give you praise. from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the Father are restored and the church of Christ was born then the Spirit lived the flame now this gospel truth of old shall not heal, shall not fade by His blood and in His name in His freedom I song is titled this I believe and I hope you do I hope you can look through every one of these phrases and say yep that is what I stand for that is what I believe it's also subtitled the creed now we got to be careful we're, we're not going to believe in a man-made creed right we're going to believe in scripture but a, a creed like the Apostles Creed or the Nicene Creed based on scripture that helps point us to scripture is certainly a good thing and that's what this song does so let's uh, let's let's Study it and, and sing it together. Our Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceive. 
Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, when we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus. Yes, these are truths, biblical truths we believe. Our judge and our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious light. Forever seated high. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection when we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Tell it now. I believe in you. I believe you rose again. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe. I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of
You may be seated. You know, the first time you uh, maybe became familiar with uh, Getty Music, uh, Keith and Kristen Getty, is probably the first time you sang In Christ Alone. And then we've sang dozens of other um, uh, contemporary or, or modern hymns, I would say, uh, in, the, in the past several years. And this is one that talks about the church. Uh, you'll recognize many, many passages in this from Scripture. O church, arise. the strength that God has given. Faith and belt of truth will stand against the devil's lies. An army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in
So I'm going to ask Mike to put uh, Acts 20, 28, just maybe not all of it. We're just going to read a portion of it and see if you remember the rest of it. Let's read it together. Now, let me say this. So this, this is Paul's admonition to overseers, to elders, to pastors, but it has implications to the whole church. Let's, let's read it together. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. You know what follows that? Which he purchased with his own blood. So the first part of that command stands alone. I mean, it, it's, it's powerful enough. But when you add those last seven words there, boom. That, I, I can't even put a number on how much more importance that gives that command. Amen. And so, with that in mind, we're going to sing this one last hymn that uh, reminds us of that great truth. It's found in the very first verse. Hopefully you know it well. The church's one foundation. Let's stand once again and sing this to the Lord. The church's one foundation Jesus Christ the Lord, she is as the creation by spirit.
Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we are grateful for the privilege of worshiping you. And Father, <clears throat> in this time when we open up the Word of God, we pray that we realize that the act of preaching the sermon is worship to you. And the act of hearing and listening is worship to you. Father, we acknowledge that high and holy calling that we have gathered together today to praise your holy name. God, help us not lift to you dead, heartless, and lifeless worship. Father, keep our hearts ablaze as we worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Occasionally, my family will break out the family portraits. Y'all been there? Either it's a visitor that's come by or it's uh, just some laughs that we want to get. Now, it's not true for me because I look pretty much like I did when I was a teenager, right? But for Natalie and others that had the big hair days, right, we laugh about all those things and we look at clothing and we're like, Dad, you actually wore that? You know, my basketball shorts don't look like the ones they wear today. Y'all know what I mean? That's just not the case, you know. So, family portraits. But if you're a person who is observant, then you'll also recognize that those pictures encapsulate so much for us about what we are and who we are as a family. So at this point in our exposition of Ephesians chapter 2, it's important to understand as Paul draws to a conclusion in chapter 2 that he is providing for us family portraits that detail the status of what it means to be the people and or family of God. And so there's three portraits that you're going to see. And all of them have a common denominator and that is that the portrait demonstrates that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the true Israel of God. Now this affects your theology the true covenant people of God. So, the portraits proceed out of the privileges that have been given to us. Remember, we are reconciled with God. Do you remember back in chapter 2, verse 13? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is the reconciling work of God. A change has taken place. And the change has taken place because you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And additionally, not only have you been brought near to Christ and you're rightly related to God, but you are also rightly related and reconciled to one another, which is the church, the body of which you are part of this morning. So, in addition to that, we have access in one body to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. It's the reconciling work of God and it's the access that we actually enjoy. And all of these portraits that you're going to see, those three. So you don't get real nervous, we're just going to see two today. Right? And we're going to wrap up and learn about being a part of the Holy Temple of God next week. And I'm going to give you more application. I felt like the people that were gone on Labor Day would really need to hear this application next Sunday. No, seriously. So don't forget my opening section or my sermon to this section. 
there is wide confusion in our world regarding what the church is. Confusion. There, is, there are tons of uh, examples across the world of the confusion that we see regarding the church. But don't forget that there are also high levels of indifference concerning the church or toward it. And then we have to deal all the time with a large degree of contempt against the church of the living God. So my prayer is entering this study, that these portraits that we're going to see will reorient you to the glory and beauty of the church of God. Secondly, that you will be reintroduced to the wonder of what it means to be a member of the church of God. So we are reorienting ourselves, we are reintroducing ourselves, and finally... I'm praying that God will refocus you on the marvelous privileges that you have if you are, in fact, born of God. If you are, in fact, a new creation. If you have, in fact, been brought near by the blood of Christ and you are reconciled to God, these are your privileges. Do you remember the big outline beginning in chapter 2, verse 11? We are called first to remember that we were far from Christ and we have all those uh, issues of Jew-Gentile relationship and how the text deals with those things. And then second, you need to rejoice because Christ is your peace. Remember verse 14? For he himself is our peace. He is the very embodiment of peace. Remember what Jesus said? Peace I give to you. Not as this world gives to you do I give to you, but my peace I give to you and your greatest need this morning at this church sitting here today is peace with God without peace with God nothing else in life really matters at all you have to have peace with God and it's only true and possible through Christ and then finally today we're dealing with the recognition of our status you want to hear an easy way to think about this chapter 2 11 and 12 is alienation from God okay and then when you get down to verse 13 through 18, it is reconciliation with God. Alienation, reconciliation, and now it's our identification. Does that make sense? And our identification is given for us today. Here it is. Uh, I'm assuming that you've been reading Ephesians all week, right? And I'm not going to read 11 through 18, but listen to verse 19. Here we are. Here's your identification. So then, you are no longer strangers... And aliens. We have to say, well, where was that given to us? Verses 11 and 12, right? Chapter 2, 11 and 12. Here's the text. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. That's portrait number one. And members of the household of God. That's portrait number two. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Sorry. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Portrait number three. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So your outline in the bulletin, recognize your new status in Christ. And please note verse 19. It says to us that we are no longer aliens and strangers. 
scholars will tell you that there's not much difference between those two words. If you study alien and stranger, they're going to be extremely close together. Now, when I say alien, standing here, what's today, September 5th, 2021? When I say alien, many of us think back to E.T. Well, that's not what the text means. Or you think of a large head, beady eyes, green-looking dude sitting on a UFO. Well, that's not... Paul used the term alien way before that particular word existed, alien today, okay? So this alien simply means an outsider. You don't belong to that particular country. You don't belong to that particular city. And stranger living, in turn, would be someone who actually becomes a resident, but they're actually also aliens. Do you remember the Gibeonites when they tricked Joshua? They wore all these tattered clothing and they came before Joshua and said, Hey, listen, we would love to become part of your people. And they really confused Joshua. He believes it makes a covenant with them, which was not the right thing to do. And they, the Gibeonites literally live in the land as strangers, yet they're resident aliens. They're in the land, but they don't belong to God. Folks, do you hear the strength of this? That is no longer your position if you're in Christ. You're not an outsider. You're not a resident alien. Let me give you another term that we might use today. In our colloquial terms, we would say an illegal alien. Let me tell you, you're there today and you belong because you've got a birth certificate. You don't have to have any papers on the wall, right? You're there because of the new birth, the fact that God has saved you in Christ, and that's who you are. Paul looks at these Gentiles and he says to them, by the way, are you Gentiles? Unless you have... Real Jewish blood coursing through your veins, then you are a Gentile, right? Everybody in this building, no matter, no matter where you're from. And he says, at one time, you were aliens, you were outsiders, you were strangers. But now, that is not the case. That's no longer your status. But here is your status. You ready? Number one, we are citizens in God's kingdom. The passage says it clearly. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. We are, here's a real term, co-citizens with all the saints. Now, what is a saint? Well, we, could off, we used to say this in the South all the time. You're either a saint or you ain't, right? There's the saints and the ain'ts. Well, we have to ask the question, what, in fact, is a saint? If you remember, I took a good bit of time in Ephesians 1 when Paul is addressing the Ephesian believers and he called them saints to tell you what that is. And in reality, it simply means a holy one. Not because you are in yourself holy, but God has set you apart from sin. So really two things to think about being a saint. Set apart from sin. It's no longer your master, but you're set apart unto God and his service. Okay? Away, apart from sin... Not under sin's dominion, but you are set apart to God and don't stop with just God and His service. That's what a saint is. I find it interesting that Paul calls the church of Corinth saints. Have you read about those guys and gals? If they're saints, I feel much better about you as a congregation, right? <laughs> Think about this. He calls them saints and then he enumerates what's going on in the church and you're like, my goodness. 
So it doesn't mean, the word saint does not mean that you've been sinlessly perfected. Right? That's not what that means at this point. One day when you see Christ, you shall see him as he is. You will be like him. But right now, that's not the case. Okay? So, he is not talking about dead people who have three miracles to their credit, who end up being canonized by the Catholic Church. That's not what the Bible says a saint is. Okay? A saint is a holy one, separated from sin, but unto God. God's true people are all saints. By God's grace, all of his true people have been separated from sin and the world and been separated unto God and his service. The old covenant was supposed to be, or the old covenant Israel was supposed to be consecrated unto God. Y'all remember this? Allow me to show you. You don't have to turn, just listen. I'm in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. Track with me. Remember, you listening is worship to God. You listening to the word of God, is the sermon is worship to him. Listen to verse 6 of Exodus 19 in verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And then over in Deuteronomy, very similar. What are the people supposed to be? Chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Okay? So they were to be citizen, they were to be the citizenship of the saints. But we all know the long, sad story. Have you all read the Old Testament? Have you read what takes place? There's no question that their failure as a holy nation, failure, right, far outweighs any of her successes. On the hills of getting the law on Mount Sinai, Moses comes down and only to find his people worshiping a golden calf. You don't have to read too much longer. And they're in the wilderness wanderings for how many years? Not 10, not 20, not 30, but how many? 40. And then you have the period of Judges. How many of you would have loved to live during the period of Judges? My goodness. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I think I just read to you the USA Today. Right? <laughs> Even in our day, people do what's right in their own eyes. So, aren't you thankful that's not the end of the story? Because if you read with uh, Christocentric glasses... If you read the Word of God thinking about Christ, then you know that it is Jesus Christ, God's own Son, who would come into this world. And He would be the true and holy one. And no one can be made righteous and holy apart from the holy one. So now, all who are in the holy one are holy ones by virtue of our union with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? We're no longer refugees. Our citizenship is the kingdom citizenship. So, when we use that term kingdom, we know that specifically God rules the world, doesn't he? But I want to remind you, when it's used in this context, God is also speaking about this special rule over his people that he doesn't have over the rest of the world. He, he rules us with a special rule. Why? Because you are part of the kingdom of God because of Jesus. We are able to enjoy personally our God. You remember last week's sermon about access? Have you forgotten that already? 
When, we're, when we say that we have access to God, that means you come to Him at any time. There is no sacred space. Wherever you are, you can come to God immediately by His Spirit, and we enjoy Him. It's also noteworthy to remember that if you were a Roman citizen when Paul wrote this, you had extraordinary privileges because you were a Roman citizen. And Paul is reminding them that that does not compare to being a citizen of the kingdom of God. This citizenship is incredible. We don't have to carry around any papers to prove our citizenship. We belong to the Father's kingdom, and this kingdom has no end. Now hear this. In order to be the true Israel of God, it must be inward, not outward. You're not saved by works of the flesh. For by grace have we been saved by, through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. What, what was the Jews' understanding of an outward salvation? Circumcision. This is not circumcision of the flesh. This is circumcision of the heart. In order for you to be a part of this kingdom, it's an inward transformation of the heart where God takes out the heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. The circumcision is not of the flesh. It is in the heart of man. And that is simply another way of saying you must be born again. Let me show you how Peter uh, describes us. First Peter, don't try to turn. Chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Listen. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen to this. Once you were not a people. Y'all hearing me? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had no mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are the Israel of God. Let me show you one, one final text, and I only have to turn a few pages, right? Actually, to the left, I just had to turn two. Listen to Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. Listen close. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. In other words, you're not saved if you're circumcised or you're not circumcised, right? But a new creation. That's what matters. You have to be made alive in Christ and you have to become a new creation. Note verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, what rule? New creation. Peace and mercy be upon you, even upon the Israel of God. Have you ever heard of the NLT, which is called the New Living Translation? Here's the translation. May God's mercy and peace be upon all those who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. You are the Israel of God when you are saved. You are a citizen of the city of the living God. Please see the portrait of what it means to be God's people. I think it's good to be patriotic. No amens? You're scared because of what I'm going to say, right? <clears throat> we are commanded. It's good to love our country, right? We're commanded by our God to pray for those who are over us. That is not easy. Imprecatory psalms to bring down fire from heaven? Yes. No, I'm kidding. It, it's hard, right? It is hard to lock in and to pray, right? Our hearts should have been stirred these last few weeks of the courage and bravery of our armed services in terrible, in places 
because of terrible decisions, terrible leadership. But please hear me. If we are indeed today no longer aliens and strangers to God's kingdom, meaning you are now a part of the kingdom of God and you're not an alien or a stranger, okay, then we are most definitely aliens and strangers of this world that we live in. This is not our city, ultimately. Ozark's not your city. Missouri's not your ultimate home. Uh, The U.S. is not your ultimate citizenship. We have a lasting city that we're waiting for, right? So think about this. Before you're ever an American citizen, if you're a Christian, you are a citizen of God. You're a citizen with the saints. It's not our lasting home. Our citizenship here in America is temporary. Our permanent citizenship is in the city of God. Do you remember that about O Abraham? Boy, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Genesis chapter 12, it reminds us in Hebrews 11 that Abraham endured waiting for a city whose foundations were secure. Folks, let me tell you something. It was never ultimately about the land in Palestine. That land is special, I get it. But the ultimate thing is not physical land. It is a spiritual city that we, well, it will be physical one day in heaven, right? It's an eternal city of God that the saints will have in the future. Now, let me, can I plow right up beside the corn? If you are ultimately a citizen of heaven, then you ought to have different priorities. The reason we're not making a difference in this world as Christians is because there's not a difference. And if you are saved, ladies and gentlemen, and you belong to the saints and you're a citizen of heaven, then there ought to be a difference in the way that you live your life. We're called to live a different kind of life than the citizens of this world. We are called to have different priorities. And if your citizenship is truly in heaven with the saints of God, then you have different priorities. We live with a different set of laws. Our laws are higher than what comes from Capitol Hill. Isn't it hard to look people in the face and tell you to get a vaccine or, to, or think of other people's best interests when we rip babies out of mother's wombs and think it's okay? That's the dilemma some people are in and all of us are in. How in the world can you tell us that you care about life? Oh, come on, folks. Right? We live with a different set of priorities because we know that every baby was made in the very image of God. Right? Every baby was made in the image of God. It bears the image, similitude of the sovereign God of the world who created all things. So, therefore, we think different. We live different. We're governed by one who can't be voted out. No matter what. He's upon his throne and he's there because of sovereign decree. And that will never change. So, we're citizens of his kingdom and we belong to him. Portrait number one. How are you doing? You're flipping through your book. How are you doing as a church in this regard? Have you ever stopped long enough in life to realize that you're part of this community? You're part of the saints This is the church of the living God. And the makeup of the church of the living God actually meets at a certain place on Sunday mornings. It's called the church. Right? All right, that's another sermon. Here's the next portrait. Do you all see why it's best just to do two this morning and not three? All right, we are members of God's family. One commentator makes the note that there's a movement from kind of a political thought of commonwealth, citizens of heaven 
over to a more personal, intimate understanding of what it means to be a part of the family of God. Remember back in verse 12, you had no hope and without God in the world. You remember that? But you were orphans and homeless. But now we are household members of God. It is a household of membership with God himself. Think about how marvelous this is. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, We don't have our passports. We have our birth certificates. And we really do belong. That's who you are. Do you remember chapter 1, verses 4 through 5? How did you become one of those? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. If you're in his family, you were adopted in. Everybody in this room, we were there because of the grace of adoption. It also happened by reconciliation. Verse 13, but now in Christ you who were once far away or far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This portrait's even better, in my opinion, than the first one because it's one thing to see your citizenship papers on the wall, but it's another thing to be a member of the household of God, part of that family. To see the Jews and Gentiles together shaking hands is an amazing thing, but to see them together as a family is astonishing, right? And that's what this means to us. What does it mean to be a full-fledged member of the household of God? Well, it at least means that we all have the same Father. Did we not sing this? I believe in God the Father. We, we have the same Father. It also means that we have the same access. Did you see it in the text from last week? We all, both Jew and Gentile, have the same access to God. We have full access to God the Father through the Son by the Spirit. That's what it is to be in the Father's house it is full and free access with no restrictions. I'm a human being and I'm a father, right? And there are times when I have to say, wait a minute, son, Nathan or Timothy back through the years or Merritt or Elena. I'm studying and I'm just too busy, right? You ever been there? I want, to, I want you to know as far as access to our Heavenly Father, there's never a time when you can't come to Him. And if you do come, He'll never say, I'm too busy. You have access to Him un. Hindered. The church is made up of adopted brothers and sisters, and that's who we are. But we also have family responsibilities. If you're in this household, you've got a role to fulfill. We are to bring glory to our God. Let me give you a sneak peek of what it means to be in a church. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man. So we, we, we hear this respectful language about what it means to be in a church. Listen. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. That's why I refer to you often. Sister this, sister that, brother this, brother that. Why? Because we're all adopted sons and daughters and we're in the household of God. That's who you are if you are saved by grace through faith. We have the same Father, we have access, we have a role to fulfill. Everyone is serving. <clears throat> Let me back up. Everyone is serving. One more time, right? Everyone is serving in this household. Everyone is loving 
and everyone is sharing responsibilities. The church is not a building. You're not sitting in a sanctuary. You are the sanctuary. God doesn't dwell in temples made by hands. He dwells in the human heart. So, remember this. The church is not a building. The church is not an event that you come to and attend. You are the church. If you are saved, you are the church. The church is a family living together under the word of God, living together on mission. The church is not a hotel that you come in and visit on occasion. And sometimes even leave a tip. If you are part of the household of God in Paul's day, it meant way more than it does today. When he would use terminology like household, it would mean that there's refuge and protection. Listen to Psalm 91. I was getting ready this morning and I got a text from Philip Shuford. Elsie's way up there to the right. Wave at everybody, Elsie. Yeah. And, and this is what Philip sent. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I'm telling you in our day, folks, this means something, doesn't it? I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Listen to NLT. He will shield you with his wings. He will shelter you with his feathers. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. Folks, do you know to be in the household of God is to have the very promise of God to protect you? A promise from God. That's amazing. Refuge and protection. If you're a member of the Father's household, then the Father, the Almighty, who has no rival in this world, has promised to provide you refuge and protection. We know what this is like to come home, don't we? When Natalie and I were getting ready to go off to seminary, uh, we were poor as Job's turkey. You'll get that in a minute. All right? Listen, we, I was a youth pastor full-time, decided it was time to go to seminary. So we moved back to North Georgia. And of all things, I moved into the same house that I had just left about, what, two years before that. And that was to live with my mom and dad. But I distinctly remember my dad telling me, this is your home, and it will always be your home. Now listen, there are some of us who say, please don't come back home, right? We get all that. But think about this for a moment. You magnify that a thousand times over, and then you begin to think about what it means to, to be part of the very household of God. It's always home to us. It looks something like this when it comes to our provision. I know these are a lot of scriptures, but I read this morning, 2 Timothy 2.15, that my command from the word of God is to rightly divide it. I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account for how I handle the word of God. So it's best for me to show you what the scripture says. Amen? How about the provisions that you get if you're part of this household? 2, Timothy, 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How many provisions do you have? All of them. Do I need to remind you of Ephesians 1 verse 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, protection and refuge 
and provision. How about identity? If you're saved, you take on a certain identity. The Bible says that he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. That's pretty good identity. Amen? The Bible says you've been predestined unto adoption. I don't know about you, but I like that identity. Don't you? How about this? You have been redeemed through the blood of Christ. You've been forgiven, sealed by the Spirit, and you've even been given an inheritance. That's what identifies you, right? Now, if I walk up to you on the street and I say, who are you? Or what are you about? How do you think most people will describe what you are about? You're probably going to describe what you do. It's probably going to be what your vocation is. Why? Because often it is inextricably bound to what we are. Now I want to remind you it doesn't matter what you do for a living. The most noble and striking thing about you is that you are a member of the household of God. That's the most important thing. That is infinitely more important than what you do in this life. We should marvel at our status of being a people of God. But you also ought to take your responsibility seriously of being the people of God. Okay. My goodness. What time did I start preaching this sermon? Well, let me just do this for the sake of you. I, I can be really good to you, can't I? Some of you are begging, please help me, please help me, right? Let me just give you a, a quick finishing part, and then I'm going to pick back next week. Because most of the application comes at the end of being the holy temple next week. And you need to hear this application, okay? If I was preaching every Sunday night, then I would give you the application tonight. And I would tell you sorry rascals to come back tonight, right? Instead of sleeping on the couch. I get it, all right. It's Labor Day, right? Okay, here's the deal. The text talks about a citizenship and a household. Both of those need a foundation. Are y'all listening? And here's what the text says. Ephesians chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 2. The Bible says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Grammatically, this is how it reads. Having been built. So, the apostles and the prophets did not lay the foundation. They are consisting in the foundation. That is the verb, voice, and mode there. Having been built upon. So to cut to the chase today and not dig in deeper, which I will next week, is shorthand to think of apostles and prophets as the ones that the Lord Jesus gave gifts to as he ascended into heaven. We'll see this in chapter 4, Ephesians 4. As Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave gifts to men. And at chapter 4, verse 11, for some he made apostles, for some he made prophets. I personally believe today that there are no modern day apostles. Nor are there any modern day prophets. I think both of those are taken over by the next gift in Ephesians 4.11. Which is pastor teachers. Right? Those who shepherd the flock of God. And I will talk about that next week. But here's the strength of apostles and prophets. What was their function? 
Their function was to give you revelatory information regarding the purpose and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in, in part, we could say that the apostles and prophets did one primary thing. They taught. They were teachers. So folks, here's what I want to remind you of. Folks, do y'all know how important the Word of God is for the foundation of this church? I mean, when I came here five years ago, I knew why God brought me here. He brought me here to preach the Word. And if you're a preacher of the Word, that's the only reason and primary reason, right, that you go to a church is to preach the Word. So, folks, do you understand how important it is for us to make absolutely sure that the foundation of this particular church body is the Word of God alone? It is, also, it is primarily speaking of that mystery of Christ being given to the Gentiles and that He Himself is our Savior. Yes, but the Bible is true from cover to cover. Every jot, every tittle. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night so that you're careful to observe everything written therein. Then you shall make your way prosperous and have good success. The Word of God is that vital. Look, folks, y'all hearing me? The foundation of this church is the Word of God. But it's got a cornerstone. And that cornerstone is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You can't tie the walls in. You can't get any structure. You can't get a superstructure on top of it. How many of you walked into this church and said, wow, what a foundation? Because the more we dig, we might be saying, wow, foundation's not great. But that's not, it's not fancy. It's, it's not something you first see. Folks, but here's the deal. It's indispensable to the building. Now, we're talking about the spiritual building. Look, folks, if you're not in Christ Jesus, you're not part of the building. He, he is the chief corner stone. He is that foundation. And Paul is going to go and he's going to grab Isaiah 28.6 and pull it out. It's the only other verse in the Bible that speaks of that foundation in that particular way. And folks, hear me. Here's the gospel. Here's what Isaiah says is going to happen. God has already laid that foundation stone. That giant rock of Gibraltar is there. And that's the personal work of Jesus Christ the Lord. And he says, for some... You will not be dismayed. What's that mean? You're going to readily come to Jesus Christ as your Lord. But for others, it will become a rock of stumbling and offense. You're going to stump your toe on that rock. Folks, there's only two kinds of people that exist in this world. Those who are being saved and we have the aroma of the gospel. That's life unto life. And then there's those who are perishing that have that have the aroma of death and are in a present state, in a present state of stumbling over the rock of offense. Let me show you. 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter chapter 2. Just so you see it clearly, chapter 2, verse 6. For it stands in Scripture. He's going to do the same thing in Isaiah 28, 6. Peter's going to do it. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone. A cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Hallelujah. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined 
to do. Is Christ your refuge this morning? Are you in Christ? Have you, are you stumbling over this rock of offense? Or are you not being dismayed? Why? Because you believe. Look, so the honor is for you who believe. Do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Thus you become church. Thus you become citizens with the saints. Members of the household. I learned this week that a writer by the name of H.L. Gilmore lived in Ireland and became an immigrant. He immigrated from Ireland to the United States or to America and he did so as a teenager. And what he was really interested in is called navigation. So what is navigation? Movement of a craft or a vehicle from one place to another. Anybody interested in that? You should be because you drive and you leave all the time, right? But he was interested more with a craft on the water and navigation. This guy trusted Christ. He comes to this world. He actually gets into the Civil War, gets put in jail in Richmond, Virginia, gets out, becomes a dentist. But the most important thing about the guy is he loved Christ, and he wrote a bunch of hymns. Thinking of navigation, he wrote the hymn called Haven of Rest. And that's your need this morning. You need refuge. Haven of rest. Listen to the first verse. My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea. So burdened with sin and distress. Anybody in that mode this morning? Till I heard a sweet voice saying, make me your choice. And I entered the haven of rest. Wow. Verse 2. I yielded my soul. To his tender embrace. And by faith taking hold of the word. My fetters fell off and I anchored my soul. The haven of rest is my Lord. I've anchored my soul. You know it. In the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide sea no more. Listen to this. Though the tempest may sweep or the wide stormy deep, in Jesus I'm safe evermore. Do you know him? Are you safe evermore? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I know we're cut a little short of hearing all about the cornerstone and the building and the apostles but Lord God the gospel is clear we can only be made right brought near by the sacrifice of your son Lord may someone today someone find rest in Jesus security refuge you remind us in your holy word that our hope is not only in this world but also in the world to come. Lord God, help us. Help us to see the gospel clearly. May you save souls today. And for Christians, Lord, we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Afghanistan can be shaken. America can be shaken. But not heaven. Not our kingdom that we're part of. It is a kingdom that will never end. We praise you for it. 
in Jesus' name. Thank you that we're citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We'll have a hymn of invitation. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes and turn your eyes to the hillside where justice and mercy embrace. There the Son of God gave his life for us and our measureless debt was erased. Oh Jesus, to you God bless you. I don't know if it's going to be a Labor Day off for you tomorrow, but it's not going to be for me because my wife said, pressure wash. You know, I've got my list. I don't know about you. Maybe you do. Honeydew list, right? So, well, we're always good for trying to put the honey back in the moon. Amen? All right. Whatever it takes. All right. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful week. Uh, you will be receiving a letter from me and the church staff soon telling you about September 19th. Okay? a day that we're going to set aside to try to get more funds given for our renovation. So uh, to God be the glory, and have a wonderful week end off, and look forward to seeing you back next Sunday. As we leave, let's sing the scripture together. Arise, shine for your light.